you. Good morning, Cross Point. It is good to be back together. So before I get started, let me release the kids for Children's Church this morning as they're making their way out. Um, If you will, turn with me to James chapter 4. So I'm so, so grateful for Justin and A.D. for preaching the the last several weeks while I was out. As, As Anthony mentioned, the last time that I was up here preaching was Father's Day, June 19th. And as many of you know, and as was mentioned, I left the next day as to care for my family as my dad was going to be having open heart surgery to replace a, a valve and to do two other procedures on his heart. And pretty quickly, those two weeks turned into five as my dad experienced life-threatening complications from the surgery that left us in critical care for about a month. The last month and a half have been some of the most difficult weeks of my life. Like, from the beginning, knowing when the nurse came and said, so your dad's heart has officially been stopped, his lungs have been stopped, he's on the pump, they're opening him up. To then the highs of the surgery was a success. We're bringing him home. We took his clothes. We had the the house ready. He's coming home today and then maybe tomorrow. And then in the middle of the night, getting that call at 12.30 and hearing my mom cry and rushing downstairs and being like, his heart stopped. He's barely alive. He won't make it through the night. You need to come say goodbye. Rushing to the hospital, being in the room here. hearing him labor for each breath until while standing at the foot of the bed he took one final breath the doctors jumped into doing CPR on his freshly open chest rushed us out and we waited and waited what was going to happen and, and he made it through. And, and the reality is that wasn't the last time he crashed and it wasn't the last phone call that we received. There would be more. And it led to 29 long days, 29 days of, of waiting in this space somewhere between life and death with the loved one that you're not ready to say goodbye to yet. That's where I've been. So why am I saying all this? One is in transparency. I am preaching from a... Thank you, I'm going to need all these. (laughs) My back pocket's full of them as well. (laughs) Thank you, AD. I'm preaching from a place of of raw pain this morning. It's where I'm at. And I don't think this is a bad thing. And I don't think it's something that that doing just to get sympathy. The reality is 
Many of you have walked this path in ones that even I would not understand. You've buried parents. You've buried loved ones. You've walked in this pain, and I'm not alone in it. And God has something to say to us in the midst of this pain. It's not something to hide from. It's not something to shy away from. It's something to enter into and hear what God has to say to us in the midst of the valley. And so that's my heart. Throughout this month is a series that's based on my reflections from the waiting room. This wasn't thoughts that were put together sometime afterwards when I had time to process everything. This was me sitting with my notes in the midst of life and death, not knowing what the future holds. And I have a pastor say to me, like, are you able to concentrate on anything? And I'm like, nothing. I have a sermon series in August and I don't know what I'm preaching. And he says, why don't you just preach on what God is showing you here in the waiting room? And so that's where it's come from. It's thoughts from them. And my hope is that it would be a comfort to those here who are hurting. And I pray that it would encourage and fortify those who are healthy but will one day walk through this valley as well. That these would be truths that would lay a foundation beneath our feet through the the darkest of valleys. And so the first truth, when I sat down and I was like, what is God showing me in this time? Lessons from the waiting room, what is this? And it's a truth that, come to find out, it's mentioned 48 times in the scripture. It's mentioned over and over again. And yet, the reality is we are so quick to forget it. And and the scripture tells us that to, to walk in forgetfulness will lead us to arrogance. But if we're mindful of it, it will lead us to a humble godliness. And the truth is simply this. Life is fragile. It's fleeting. It's a vapor. So I don't know if the screens are working. No? Okay. So if you will... Look with me in your Bibles in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. When James writes, come now. Come now, you who say today or or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and, and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring You don't know what your life will be for you are like a a vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes. Instead, instead you should say if the Lord wills we will do this or, or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. See, the, the point I have this morning that I want us to feel in grasp is that truth that life is fragile. It says life is a vapor. You are are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. 48 different times it calls us to remember this truth. And in 1 Peter, for all flesh, it's like grass and all its glory. It's like a flower of the grass, but the grass withers and the flower fades. Psalm 144, a human, it's like a breath. 
His days are like a passing shadow. It's like stepping out into a cold morning and in the warmth of the air that escapes your lips is quickly seen in the air around you and then it's gone. Such is your life. I knew this truth. Kind of. It's one thing to know it, but it's another thing that I did not understand its weight or its meaning. See, I didn't fully grasp it. I knew about it. I mean, even when I strapped myself, like in a cartoon, to this tin can with jet engines launched into the air, flying at 30,000 feet, 500 miles per hour, it didn't cross my mind how fleeting life really is. Even when the nurse came and said, we've stopped your dad's heart and we're performing the surgery, even then I did not grasp how fleeting life was because 98, 99% of the time, this is what they do. Isn't medicine amazing? It's not a complicated truth. You, You don't need a PhD to understand it, but to feel it, all of a sudden it came in a second when my brain was finally able to process what they were saying, your dad's not going to make it. You need to get here quickly and say goodbye. It was about 35 minutes away. I think I made it quicker than that. (laughs) But then the thought started going through my head, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to say goodbye yet. I know I've had all these years, but I didn't, I wasn't expecting it, even though I knew it could be a reality. I'm not ready yet to say goodbye. And it's in that moment that you realize how quickly life is a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this. Teach us. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Think about this. Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us. There's something to be learned here. There's something that that isn't just common sense. It's just not known. Teach us. There's something that we learn. There's something that doesn't just come natural. Teach us then. Teach us what? What do we need to learn to number our days carefully? 16,935 days. That's how long I've been alive today. When does that number end? None of us know. Number your days carefully. You will not live forever. My days in this body are numbered. And I've already lived nearly 17,000 of them. And I don't know how many are left. At some point in the unknown future, I will breathe my last breath in this body. 
And the scripture makes it clear, teach us to number our days carefully. There is something we need to be aware of, that we need to be reminded of. Because what would you do if you knew that tomorrow you would not see the sunrise? Who would you call? Who would you hug? Who would you want to spend the afternoon with if you knew that today was that last day? Why is it important that we learn this? Teach us, the psalmist says, to number our days carefully so that, so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. There's wisdom to be learned. See, knowing this truth that life is fragile, it's not just information, it's not mere knowledge, but it is only when we apply this knowledge that it becomes wisdom in our hearts. That's the definition of wisdom. It's not just information we know, yes, 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 I know life is fleeting, I know it's a vapor. But when we apply that knowledge and it changes then the way we live, it becomes wisdom. And that is why the psalmist calls us, teach us then to number our days carefully so that we may discern wisdom in our hearts. Because this is where I want to jump back to James, because this is exactly what James is saying to us. He goes, don't you know life is a vapor? He's like, come, come now. Come you who say, today or tomorrow, we will, we will, we will. Come now, you who say. The reality is words matter. The words we use to describe the future both reflect the beliefs of our heart, but they also lead our heart in those truths. We say, we know, we know that life is a vapor, it's fleeting. And then we say, look at our plans, look at what we have planned. Tomorrow, this weekend, the vacations we'll take, post-graduation. Oh, and we speak it with such convincing certainty. But which one do you believe more? Which one becomes wisdom when we say that life is fleeting or when we say we will, we will, we will? Come now. You who say today, tomorrow, we will, we will. We speak with such certainty, such convincing knowledge of things we have no control over. And I've been aware of this now for some time, and even more so now of words that I have spoken on this stage with arrogance about a future I did not understand. January 26th was a Sunday partners stayed after the service and we said oh we will we will this is what we have planned for the year this is how God's leading this is what we will do we will do we will do get on board in the next communication we sent out services canceled coronavirus join us online all of our I wills arrogant 
boasting from a foolish mind. That's how I feel about it. Because isn't this how the the culture teaches us? Speak in the active voice, not the passive voice. You need to cast vision, convincing. You need to be certain. Make a one-year plan. Make a three-year plan. A five, a ten-year plan. Live it out. Walk it out. Make your plans. That's what you do when you're a good leader. And the Bible calls that arrogant boasting. He calls it evil. There's a lesson to be learned that we do not understand the future. And here's why I can be so harsh with myself, because I don't think I'm alone. When we entered 2020, you had your plans too, right? Oh, we will. We will, we will. Until you didn't. And all of a sudden, you realized what your plans were worth. Consider your plans and your beliefs. How do you speak about the future? Your plans for tomorrow, your to-do list, your weekend plans, post-graduation, next promotion, months from now. We want to believe we have more certainty than we actually have. Our plans once we retire. I have a pastor friend I met while I was up north. He's about 10 years from retirement. And he's not retiring until like 75, 80. And him and his wife have made their plans that they bought property. And oh, the plans that we'll do together once the pace of ministry is no longer forcing us to move, move, move. Won't it be nice all the time that we'll have together until the diagnosis? It could go slow or it could go fast. She's given three to four years to live. Him and his wife sat with us in the hospital, helping to carry our own pain while they carried theirs. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. Teach us so that we may number our days carefully, that we would not walk with arrogance, but with humility. Do you believe that life is a vapor? Do you believe in the vulnerability of your own life, the importance of today, this moment, this breath? There is a learned wisdom to be gained that should lead us then to a godly mindfulness. Look at what James says, instead, instead you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live. If the Lord wills, we'll do this and we'll do that. Words matter. Again, words reflect our heart beliefs and it informs and leads us in those beliefs. Our words matter in how we consider the future. If the Lord wills, we will. Do you see the change that's happened? It it goes from the arrogance of we will, oh, in a year from now, we will. Oh, tomorrow it even says we will. 
It even pulls that out from under us. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. But if the Lord wills, all of a sudden our perspective changes. And we acknowledge both what is certain and what is uncertain. Because what is certain in what we are declaring? If the Lord wills, because when the Lord wills something, nothing can change it. There was a certainty that we have that God is in control. Whatever the circumstances, we have a certainty. And when we declare it, it doesn't start with me, it starts with him. If he wills, nothing can thwart his will. There was a certainty that it declares, but it also is expressing our own uncertainty. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what tomorrow holds. God does, that is certain, but I do not. And that is clear. Words matter, you should say. So how do we approach the future? Like what does it mean for planning? What does it mean for thinking ahead? Like, are you just saying, like, it doesn't matter. Just live for today and live in this kind of foolish chaos that I'm going to do whatever I can today and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so what's the use of planning? That's not what the Bible's calling us to. Even when, when Jesus was talking about counting the cost of discipleship, he gave an example and he's like, look, if you're going to go build a tower, right, if you're going to build a house, let's say, you're not just going to start throwing money at it, you're going to sit down and you're going to count the cost. You're going to say, this is going to take three, four, six months, whatever. It's going to cost this much money. You're going to save up. You're going to count the cost and then plan it out. We're not just going to say, hey, do whatever you want. Like there's no use in planning at all. That's not what this is saying. But it's also cautioning us to not have this arrogance about us of, oh, we will, we will. Look at what we're going to do. Oh, we're going to pray that God blesses it, and then we Christianize the whole thing. But in reality, it's just our own arrogance of what we want to do or what we think will happen in a future we do not understand. Rather, we are called to humble planning. This is what I would say of, okay, how then do we think about the future in a life that is a vapor, that is fragile? So many times this verse has been true in our family's life. A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. With wisdom as best as God has given us, we make plans for the future. We count the cost before starting something. We think through it, but those plans are not our goal. There is wise planning, but then we surrender those plans to God and we say, if the Lord wills, he's going to direct our steps. We have our plans. We've set our plans. We've done the best we can to mark the way. But in the language we use, we acknowledge if the Lord certainty wills because we do not know what's going to happen. We will follow him step by step. This is one of the wisdoms to be gained by numbering our days carefully. In conclusion, there's three things that I want you to hold on to. How do we apply this? That life is a vapor. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom 
in our hearts. There is something for us to learn in numbering our days that will develop and cultivate our hearts in wisdom. So my question is this, how do you need to apply this truth to your life today? Not just in belief, not just in in the gentle reminder, intellectually knowledge. Yes, the Bible says 48 times life is fleeting, but for that knowledge to become wisdom, how does that need to be applied in your life? What are you putting off till tomorrow to some other time later down the road, presuming and assuming arrogantly that you have a tomorrow? What is this truth calling you to today? I also pray that as followers of Christ, this gives us hope and not fear. There is nothing for the believer to fear in death. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and die is gain. Every time I kind of joked about stepping onto that airplane like a cartoon, right? Stepping on with rocket engines, flying at 500 miles per hour, 30,000 feet. I still don't like it. I'm a big guy in a small space and something that physics I do not understand. And so every time I step from the platform to the plane... I act like I'm bracing myself. And I put my hand on the side of the plane, and when I'm praying in my head, not out loud, because they'd probably arrest me, is I'm saying, to live is Christ and die is gain. It's what I pray every time. Nobody would know. If you ever fly with me, you're going to see me do this. And it's an acknowledgement that I don't know if this plane's going to touch down on the other side. But if it does, to live is Christ, right? To live, I'm going to live for his glory, to and for his glory. If God gives me another day, if he gives me another breath, then I vow that I will do my best to live it for the sake of his name and not my own. So Lord, if you give me another breath, let it be to proclaim the name of Jesus. And if I don't land on the other side game. I'm going to be with him in heaven. I'm good with that too. These are my two realities. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. We have hope, not fear in the face of death because God is preparing a place for us right now. While our number of our days are still being lived out, he is preparing a place for us. It's what he said. Don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that. Would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where you are, so that where I am, you may be also. Now that, 
It's a verse familiar with. Let me put it in a different context. While my dad was in the hospital and we're waiting, my uncle went to the ER three times. My wife was taken to the ER. My sister-in-law was down the hallway in critical care after having a seizure for four hours. And my 98-year-old grandmother was downstairs having to be brought in with chest pains. And so I was downstairs, I was making my rounds through all at the same hospital, holding my grandmother's hand, 98 years old. And she was telling me with tears of her love for Jesus, telling me how broken she was at how he had to suffer for our sins. And we recount it together. The truth that right now God was in heaven preparing a place for her. And we didn't know if those number of days were coming to a quick end. And she's like, I'm ready. I've had a good life. That's what I think of when I hear that verse. That's the context. A life well lived, surrendered to Christ, knowing after 98 years, you know at a certain point you're getting closer and closer to when that's done. And there wasn't fear. There wasn't fear in the face of death. There was hope. That's what I want to call us to. There was hope. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who have died, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. As followers of Christ, even in death, yes, we grieve, but we grieve with hope because of Christ. Paul in another letter says, in fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. There's a confident hope that we have. And so one final thing I want you to consider. Yes, life is fragile. Yes, it is fleeting. Yes, we can have hope. But I want to encourage us out of this. What if we lived with intentionality rather than assumptions? Rather than assuming we have tomorrow or next week or a month from now, what if we lived with an intentionality today? Now, in this breath, the only thing that we know for certain is I've just taken another breath and I've been given one more minute. And what does that intentionality look like then before God and before others? See, before God, we know that we have hope because of Jesus Christ, right? We know that our hope is secure in him. In that God who created us, who sustains us, that he would choose to take on frail humanity, our brokenness, 
our pain, our longings, our wounds, he would voluntarily take upon himself and that he would lay down his life so that by faith in Jesus Christ, we then would exchange death for life, his life and life everlasting. But here's how we apply the truth that life is fragile. Too often I see people thinking that somehow following Jesus is a killjoy. And so I just want to do what I want for a little bit longer. I don't want to say no to my pleasures. I want to live for for myself for just a little bit. Do my thing for a little bit. And then later, tomorrow, next year, a decade from now, then I'll surrender. But I kind of want to live out my wild oats at first. How arrogant and foolish we would be to assume tomorrow. If you are delaying in any way surrendering to Jesus Christ, do not presume that you have one more hour. This truth should call us to our knees in the moment to surrender and trust in Christ fully, or we are fools. How then do we live intentionally with others? I asked it earlier, what if you don't have tomorrow? Practically. Who, Who would you call Who do you want to talk to today? Who do you want to hug? Because at some point that phone rings and you will feel the fleeting nature of life and there will not be another minute. There is wisdom to be gained in counting the number of our days. What are you putting off till tomorrow? What forgiveness have you not asked for, you have not offered? What if today is the last day with your child? How do you want to spend the day? And let us with a godly humility live with intentionality. Let's pray.